0: It's no secret that I go out of my way to prioritize my physical fitness. Yeah, I wanna look good, but my physical well-being is the pillar of my overall well-being. It has a direct impact on my mental and emotional health, but it doesn't matter how hard I work out, how frequently I work out, if I'm not fueling my body correctly, I'm not going to see the results that I want to see, and neither are you, which is why Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch is proud to be sponsored by Central Valley Nutrition, a mom-and-pop health food and supplement store. And when you go to centralvalleynutrition.com and use checkout code AJK15, you get 15% off every single item they sell. So if your health is important to you, and if it's not, I'm telling you, it should be, Get 15% off store wide with checkout code AJK15 at Central because it's never too late to get your fit together. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch, a tell all podcast 10 years. After Season 5 of WWE Tough Enough, I'm your host, Season 5 contestant AJ Kirsch. Joining me this episode, Tough Enough co-executive producer Doug LeBeau, who was also director of on-air promotions at WWE from January of 1992 through December of 1998 and executive creative director from January of 99 through April 2006. So much happening in WWE at that time. We discussed Doug's education in the business, how WWE evolved over the years, and how he transitioned to a reality show like Tough Enough a ton of ways you can support the podcast of course you can subscribe on your podcast provider of preference by going to thetuftalkpod.com you can follow on Twitter Instagram and Facebook it's all at thetufftalkpod. you get access to early and ad-free episodes full-length bonus episodes and a whole lot more by signing up for the Money Talks tier at patreon.com slash Kirsch. you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts which really does help get more eyes and ears on the show and finally if you want to advertise shoot an email to aj.kirsch at hotmail.com and we'll get the conversation going. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I really appreciate it. And we are about to take a near two-hour dive with Tough Enough co-executive producer, Doug LeBeau. We're rolling, standing by with Tough Enough co-executive producer, Doug LeBeau. And I mean, you and I have been in touch on social media uh, ever since Tough Enough. We check in on Facebook, I don't know, once a year, once every two years, something like that but this is the first time you and I have actually talked at any great length about tough enough. Um, for those who don't know, like I said, co-executive producer on tough enough, you've worked on legends house and you've actually been a part of the WWE family for years and years and years.
1: So you were 1991 kind of being... was my first Jesus year. Jesus
0: Christ. That's were you
1: even bo- were you even born then?
0: I was born in 83, but I'll <laughs> take that as a compliment. I'll t- <laughs> um, so, dude, I just can't thank you enough for, you know, taking time out of your please, schedule to join me please. and just crack open tough enough. Thanks for being here. Uh,
1: you're welcome. And I will say this, that not only am I uh, uh AJ fan, but I am also a proud owner of a San Francisco yes! t-shirt that I bought. I have some merch. I get a lot of compliments on that from baseball fans. Like, what is that? I'm like, ah, it's, it's, just, a long, it's, it's a long
0: story. But uh I <laughs> got a at bro but dude yeah, uh there I you
1: mean, go Sh- shameless plug a minute into the podcast. Per- perfect <laughs> segue that
0: you and i definitely did not discuss beforehand <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm really glad you're here um i almost don't even know where to begin because you uh, when i spoke to eric van wagenen uh executive producer on the show
1: he and a, and, a, and a talented son of a bitch
0: right which almost verbatim that's what everybody says about him he's a talented yeah. son of a bitch um Coming from the reality show world, you, though, came from wrestling. And so I I imagine it was maybe unofficially an unwritten responsibility for you to catch Eric and the crew up on wrestling culture and the verbiage and who's who and what means what and all this other stuff. So I definitely want to want to touch on that. But I kind of want to go back. You know, let's let's start at the beginning and just say when was it first brought up to you that tough enough is coming back and that you they were looking at you to be a part of it
1: so wow uh i first of all thanks for having me second of all I will say that it's been what 10 years so I may take a breath or a beat to think about things because obviously it's not super top of mind but I have been uh you know trying to dredge up those uh all positive memories uh, after listening to some of the other podcasts you've done which Again, another shameless plug for, for, for the brosip but uh, they've been really entertaining and fun and thank you. Uh, informative, even for me, um, you know, some, some, some of the dynamics and things that uh, happened in and around me that I wasn't quite, you know, exactly in on. So it was cool. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Um, thank you. So how did I become involved in Tough Enough? It's and we really can really bounce question. around wherever yeah, you Yeah, let's go. We're just going to wander.
0: You know, it'll be I'm, great I'm,
1: I'm a New York Jew with ADD. If we're not bouncing around, we're, we're, we're fucked. You know what I mean? Come on. Um, <laughs> um, so, so here's the interesting story. I worked um, at WWE, started as a PA. Yeah. Um, in, in 1991, I, 92, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, um, Valentine's day, 1992 was my first day. Um, and you know, cornily enough, that's when I fell in love with wrestling. Cause I never watched it as a kid. I was never, a uh, you know, I wasn't a Hulk Hogan guy back in the day. So you just I took it because it was a job. I took it because it was a job. And here, here's the really, here's, uh, you know, a, a funny story. So the guy that brought me in, uh, for many of the wrestling fans know the name, David Sahadi. David Sahadi was my, um, you know, was responsible for my, my career, basically. Um, yeah. We worked together at NBC. He was the head of honor promotions for NBC Sports. I was uh, a page um, in the page program, and I was very lucky at the time to, uh, in in a page class that is typically between 30 and 34, we had 34 people, four of which were guys and 30 of which were good looking women. So um, all of the single men in their 30s that were walking around NBC at the time were very jealous of the pages that got to hang out and go to SNL after parties with each other. So nice. David took a Took notice of all these good-looking women and came up to me and said, "Hey, can you introduce me to this one? Hey, can you introduce me to that one?" Yeah. And we 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 uh, we struck up a friendship, and he was hired away by then a company called Titan Sports, right? Which was pre uh, you know what they call the production arm of WWE. He came in, was there for a while under uh, Kevin Dunn, who's mm-hmm. you know the man, the myth, the legend, and and, and deservedly so. And still um, there,
0: still directing roles. Still,
1: still, God, the the guy, the guy is you know we had a separate podcast to talk about platitudes of that guy who to do it, but you know, we'll say they'll pop up throughout here, but you know, he, he puts the W and the W uh, in the, in, in the three letters, but anyway, so he, Kevin brought David in, David uh, came in and um, was looking to bring his own people, bring in some PAs um, and he and I had that relationship. So he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I, I took this new job. I don't have any PAs. I'm- I'm- I can bring in a couple guys. Are you interested? I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not really a wrestling fan. I don't really know. So I'm going to pass. Wow. He's like, okay, great. A month goes by. He's like, Doug, I-, I think you made a mistake. Like, I haven't found anyone yet. I really want you to come take this job. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. let me, let me drive up to Connecticut from New York. So I drive up. He walks around, shows me around. I meet a couple of people. Uh, the the guy who eventually will be you know the boss in between us.
0: He shows you around. You know, uh, Titan Towers or the story, Titan, production studio. Okay, the production studios. Okay, okay.
1: And, and he's like, okay, do you want the job? I'm like, yeah, okay. This is pretty cool. How much does it pay? It's like, well, PA, you know, get paid twenty one thousand dollars. Um, and I'm like, you know, uh, that's not enough money for me. Now here's here was my pushback, which is really funny. And there was no HR at the time. There's nothing, nothing. I'm like you know, I need to, I need to travel. And I got some, whatever, can you make it 23,000? And he's like, sure. And I started the next day. Like that's wow, that's how it happened. Literally wow. walked in the next day with a tie on. And, and that was the ah. last day I wore a tie, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, one of the last, and yeah. you know, it was, it was, the, and I mean this in the, in the greatest of all compliments, it was such the wild West, you know, the, the company was in transition um, Vince had just sort of come out of the 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 steroid scandal on the positive side right. with Hogan and all that stuff, and the company was was had to battle, you know. Like, and I think that's a great uh, term. We had to battle through a downtime, so much so that um, you know, my first couple of months there, we had to kick in a dollar a week per person to pay for our own milk because the company was having a hard time paying for our own milk. Wow. True story. True story. Wow. Wow. Um, but but Kevin. Uh, Dave Zahadi and another gentleman who I'll throw props to uh, throughout uh, um, a guy named Chris Chambers, who's also well known within Mm -hmm. the business. You know, three of them sort of took me under their wing and really led this sort of, you know what, there's no wrong answer. Just try, throw things against the wall, go, go, go. And that really sort of indirectly, but not so indirectly, led to you know, uh, the attitude area, uh, attitude era and Vince sort of embracing, you know what, like we got nothing to lose. Let's go. Right. Um, and, and again, to Vince's credit, that was, you know, that recognition and we're off, but, but it was a really interesting culture, um, when I first got there. And so, but from, from PA to producer in under two years, from producer to, you know, a, a, a director of a division a, a year or two after that, wow. um, and then by 1999, I was running um, what we called Loudmouth Productions, which was their in-house um, advertising and marketing uh, division. And we were doing a $100 million of business uh, out of the New York office. And just, again, following the lead of, uh, uh, of Vince and Kevin and really embracing this. And it was a wonderful, 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 amazing time to work at that company. I mean, I can't, it was just exciting. That's right. the best word I could say.
0: What, what a spectacular exciting. experience to come in when as you said, you had to kick in money to buy milk. Like that's yes. like, was there, was there a part of you that was like, when that started happening, I have so many questions. When there was a part of you that asked yourself, like, I'm kicking in money for milk. Did I make a mistake by taking this job? Never. N-
1: never. And, I, wow. and I'll tell you why. Okay. Again, like you have to understand, I was a 23 year old kid. You oh, know? Sh- um, I was, a, you know, at $23,000, you know, a dollar here, dollar there didn't matter to me. You know what mattered was opportunity. Yeah. What mattered was mentorship. What mattered Gross. was uh, growth. Yeah. What mattered was excitement and love. And like I said, I was never a wrestling fan, but within months, you know, let's say I fell in love with the business. Yeah, I fell in love with the the you know the the opportunity to 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 help brand a company, to help create stars, to to work with people that. Um, embraced risk and were willing to let you try and fail because you, you grow through failure. That was right. You know, David and Kevin and Chris were like geniuses at at like, yeah, that one kind of sucked, but you know what? You went for it, bro. And then you learn from next time. And so that kind of stuff was really great. So no, I never questioned it. Um, I, I, you know, embraced the culture um, and I knew that um, I was onto something you know, right. having not been a fan of the of the sport, sure, um, or, or or the entertainment vehicle before, and I just knew that you know a dollar here, a dollar there didn't matter, but in the long haul. And now, flashing forward to the next question, going from 1992 to 2006, man, um, mm-hmm. for my first run was incredible, and then the, the company was so generous. Um, we switched networks from Spike to USA. There were some run redundancies in my department. Um, so the company offered me a chance to do some work internationally, which I didn't want to do. And then they were very generous, uh, in letting me go and, and literally said, you know, this is not the last, and, uh, you know, and you think that's, they say that to one, and then six years later, I get a call yeah. saying, you know, we're starting a network. We would love you to be a part of it. And by the way, your first project is going to be the revival of tough So that's the full circle, right. um, answer to your question that I wasn't there that whole time, but. You know, that six years away, I ran my own business and was able to learn a lot of production outside of WWE because WWE is very particular in the way they do things. And of it's, course. you know, arguably the best in the business, but they have a particular way of doing things. Um, so I was able to learn uh, uh, outside techniques. I was able to work with other companies and learn. So when I went back, I think I was more prepared to to execute what was asked of me by the WWE with regard to Tough Mud.
0: Right, you just had a wider breadth of of experience to bring back to Tough Enough. Correct. So, correct. but when you say they were running a network, they weren't referring to WWE Network at the time. They were referring to twenty four seven. Correct.
1: They were. They were. So. So. Or yeah, was the network really, even an idea it was an, at the time? It was an idea. It was an okay. idea at the time. So. So. Uh, I think that. I think that Tough Enough was. Uh, when was when was yeah Tough Enough two thousand eleven correct yeah yeah. yeah. Yes, so I think I was brought back to do Tough up, and then almost immediately, you know, th- that was the we're going to do this first. But your real role will be transitioning into, you know, uh, executive on the the network. We it wasn't an OTT plan at the time when they first, you know, it was it was going to be, and it was it's a standalone network, and they weren't sure whether, you know, how they were going to do it. They were again, this is above my pay grade, and right. I don't, you can't quote me on it, but there were rumblings that they were going to buy Oprah Winfrey's cable station, you know, like oh my God. The, the, yeah. the thing that she owned in order to put it there. There were a couple other ideas floating around. And again, you know, as they often do, they chose wisely and you know, they created something that was the um, first of its kind and a, and a, and a, you know, a beacon to all these other Hulu's and Roku's and all sure. these things like, and they really were trailblazers in that regard. But so, yeah, so just to finish your question, I was my first assignment. Back was tough enough, but I was brought back to help shepherd the, the 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 origins of the network. I see. And OTT, just real quick, means over the top. It means no, oh. not so. So OTT platforms like Roku, where you don't have to buy a cable, uh, you know, package or whatever, you can just do it. You know, uh, everything's done Cutting the cord.
0: Yeah, Correct. I got you. Right. Um, now, real quick for folks who may not be familiar with Dave Sahadi, I think his his two biggest claims to fame. Are the My Way package for WrestleMania 17, like arguably one of the greatest hype packages of all time, and it's like that still comes to my every time I hear that song, it's always just Rock Austin in my mind. And then I think he also helmed the Lonely Road of Faith project with with Kid Rock's
1: song. Um, oh my God! Wow you you are you are a wealth of knowledge beyond my still a wrestling nerd <laughs> still a wrestling nerd. <laughs> Okay. As I mentioned early, I, I am going to admit when I, you know, when I, uh, I'm not on the same wavelength as you, or things are not uh front of mind. I don't particularly, I, I remember both those projects. Yeah. Um, th- and they were certainly under his purview. And again, I think either one or both, I may have already been involved in loudmouth in New York. So we weren't, I might not have been working with him under those times, okay. but he, like I said, in no small, uh, in no small manner was a big part of my career. Um, both at WWE and what I learned, you know, after leaving. Yeah. Um, so did you but, two work uh, together in that six year period? Oh yeah. He, he, when he hired me, we worked together from 92 to 99. So for seven years, I mean, and he was my direct boss and my friend right? and my mentor. And uh, you know, uh, again, uh, what I say to you, I would say in front of anyone, the quirkiest motherfucker on the planet, dude. I, yeah. I
0: I worked with him briefly when I was at MLW because he was doing their t. Te- he was working on their television. He was working uh at Impact for a while just right. because he is such a big wrestling fan. And he is he's quirky is definitely a, a way to describe him. But he's also just exudes this like warmth and oh my just God, this like smile. Kind of you can see it from the gentle, other side of the word. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, an amazing yes. guy, and I, I feel very lucky for having. So we worked
1: together for seven years. Like, yeah, he's yeah. We still, you know, once a month we're we're checking in on each other. You know, he's I think he's doing something with still with TNA or Impact, yeah. rather. I'm sorry. That's um, awesome. So uh, yeah, and he moved to Chattanooga, and he's living his life the way he likes to. You know, he's, he's, he walks the bars and you know, and, and walks home and has a yeah. great life and isn't yeah. Yeah, in, he seems genuinely happy.
0: Reason.
1: Yeah, he's doing well. So yeah, so we worked together for seven years. Uh, again. Uh, with him, with, with Chris Chambers, um, Kevin Dunn.
0: How closely were you working with Vince at the time, uh, in that first WWF, WWE run?
1: Um, me particularly not, not the first seven years when I was directly under David. Yeah. Um, not too regularly. Um, again, uh, kudos to Kevin and to David, both like, um, I, they they picked their spots it's a great wrestling term and i'll use right. it a lot in this interview like they picked their spots and uh, you know th- when when i was crushing some stuff and they want to let vince know that it was me that was crushing it he knew wow. And then when there were projects that were you know uh not under my purview or maybe were a little daunting or you know they kevin would snip that you know vince uh you know would 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 be more on top of it than less on top of it, they would slowly work me into those situations as a younger producer. So to answer that question, not too much, but enough to understand, respect his process and appreciate both the positive and negative feedback. when it Okay, came. cool. Um,
0: and then last question before we kind of start diving into tough enough, uh, you weren't a wrestling fan when you got the job, but you said over, over a couple months, you started falling in love. At first you said the business. And so I would love to know specifically what that means. And also if you ever felt like you, you fell in love with the business, I'm sure you fell in love with producing the business, but how, when, when did the moment happen that you became a fan? Like, when did you get it? What was really going on? And I mean, at this point, you're so close to it. I can't imagine there was any type of protecting the business that was happening because you were helping produce the vision of the business. So it's like,
1: so, so that's a great question. And I'm just going to share a story with you and I think it'll answer it. Okay. So, so, um, maybe it was a couple of months into the, to my job. Um, David's like, hey, Doug, I want to redo the open for a show called uh, WWF Superstars. I don't know how long ago so it was like 92, 93. Right. Um, uh, Excuse me. We're going to fly to Seattle, and we're going to shoot all kind of, you know, what they call image pieces of guys lacing up their boots, guys putting on their elbow pads, guys, you know, getting their hair wet, guys, you know, push-ups, stretch bands, push-ups, all the – Beautifully shot, beautifully lit, which was, you know, Dave's specialty. Really cool. So I'm there and I'm, you know, learning from one of the best and I'm doing everything from, you know, getting coffee to humping lights to, you know, holding the boom mic, you know, where, you know, even though right. it was, you know, go I for don't it. think we've of, I was doing it. Yeah. So we finished shooting and we stayed for the show. Now during, again, this is 92. So maybe May, June, somewhere around that time. Owen Hart's there. And it's, this is a house show. This isn't even TV. And Owen Hart is a baby face. And uh, at the time uh, during that show, and I guess during the run, because as you know, back then it wasn't a one, one t- they usually do things, whatever, but this was the first night that they were turning him. Okay. And so uh, this is how green I was. And, I, and I'm watching from, uh, from the spillway, you know, it was there was no TV. So it wasn't gorilla. I guess, you know, the backstage area, they walked before we had like a little, rock and roll trust with some neon lights and that was their entrance you know, <laughs> right, right right um um uh and he goes out there and you know the, you know Owen Hart's music everyone loves Owen he, they're cheering him on and then he turns turns in the ring and as he's leaving they he's getting hit with batteries and, oh. and people are throwing beer on him and you know he's ducking and running and you know playing it up and whatever and he walks through the curtain in the back and everyone gives him a high five and said, Owen. You you must be pissed off, dude. Like they, you know, they went from like he's like, no, Doug. Like this was one of the best nights I've had in the business. Like to get people to hate me the way they did after five minutes earlier booing me is the highlight of that's why I'm a wrestler, right? And it, it fucking blew me away. And that's what, that I'm talking about. Like I didn't know any of this stuff, man. I didn't know the psychology of the business, and that's really what separates this from everything else. That's what. You know, you hear, oh, baseball needs to be more fun, and I'm I love baseball. I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. And you know, the no fun league, the NFL, and these those guys all wear helmets, and it's hard to identify with these guys. But the psychology of wrestling, the the, the falling in love like you know these guys, or the or falling in hate like right. you know these guys, it, it just that was the moment. It blew me away. It hit me, and I'm like, I fucking get it. Like, yeah, I I get it, and and that was the beginning. That that's what, you know, that's what smartened you up and, 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 yeah. and, and, and me start falling in love with the business. Like I said, right. like, I am, I'm going to be honest. Like I am not as much as I like him as a guy and really, um, you know, uh, loved working with him and, and, and recognize his prowess. Like i never watched a Kurt Angle match and be like, wow, did you see that hold or like, wow, you see him break the, your know, shoot the leg or, you know, none of that. I know how technically good of a wrestling was. That wasn't what turned me on. That never was what I would refer to as my love of the business, but it was seeing Shawn Michaels command a crowd sliding down that yes yeah. you know, understanding takers, understanding of his character, you know, seeing Vince talk to these guys backstage, seeing Kevin in the truck, manipulating the senses you know because like good videos made with good audio good good memories are made with music and lights and sound and and it, you know, all of it seeing all that stuff firsthand working in the truck as a Chiron operator and seeing that you know like all the backstage stuff that's what i mean by i'm in love with business like right. that stuff is so singularly unique and i think it also gave me respect for the wrestling fan because they know it yeah and they respect it and they Yes, they like the wrestling, but they like it because they get all the other stuff. And I think one of the shrewdest things that Vince ever did was saying, "You know what? Let's embrace people knowing." Right. And this was before social media. This was sure. before you know. Let's embrace people knowing and use it to our advantage. Right. And guess what? It's a billion dollar company off of that decision. Right. And that's and it, why I fell in love with the business.
0: It worked. Um, and this was listen, the internet was in its infancy. There, there was no social media, um, yep. and you know. Um, what a privilege for you to get an education at in the highest stage in wrestling. I mean, obviously, they were losing to WCW for a while, but WWE would eventually be, emerge triumphant. Right. But for you, like that makes so much sense because you got to see every single layer through which pro wrestling as a whole connected with the audience.
1: You you saw I'm the connected wrestling. with me,
0: and I, you yeah, you became yes. the audience, you became part of the audience, but like you saw. Owen commanding a crowd and you saw how, you know, shooting push-ups connected with the audience and how the audio with the package, like you, you were just able to see it. And, and again, what just, what a, what a privilege to have such a deep education in everything that makes pro wrestling what it is. Um, right. Did you, yes. did, when you had that aha moment with Owen, did it change how you approached work?
1: Great question, and I think unequivocally yes. Again, just taking a moment to think about it. Yeah. Um, Yes, because it 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 gave me a lens into what I was meant to what I should be doing. As far as now, remember, David was in charge of promos, so at that time I was promoting matches. But really, what I learned was I was promoting talent. I was promoting characters, and I was promoting stories. So you know, a high spot is a high spot. But without, you know, t- taking the viewer or the or, or, or you know the people watching the promo to the ledge, and then having that high spot in the promo put them over the ledge. That's what I learned, right? So otherwise, it's just a connection of of, of action shots or right. You know, but what about putting an ID shot of someone wincing in pain, or you know the the classic you know boxing poster, you know mano mono face, or whatever it was. Like finding emotion and finding story in B-roll. In, right. in, in what you know, either from the ring or stuff that we went out and shot as you know, image campaigns, finding that part of the story and telling it so that it elevates the wrestling. That, yes, that does that answer your question? Yes, that absolutely. Is, that's, that's that's what I knew. That's that's where we needed to go. And again, it what I wasn't alone. Like, I had right. I had Sahadi, I had Chambers, I had Kevin Dunn, I had people telling me, like, yes, that is. That is right. And that is the way to go. And 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 in lockstep. And then, you know, long after I'm gone. And now, you know, I think, you know, this guy Adam Panucci, who's there now, who is really in charge of all the packages, you know, he does that times a hundred. Right. You know, and I think that's what makes the show so good still to this day, is that um, and you know, the the packages are emotive and the packages are about, you know either selling moments or leading up to moments either right. selling talent or leading up to you know uh, to, to confrontation and that's again, that's I took that Owen heart learning and and applied it to those type of things
0: right right It's funny because like when you it, I like to use the people's elbow as as a perfect example of like what wrestling is at the end of the day, it's a standing elbow drop. It's like one of the right. least spectacular. Moves in the history of wrestling and the fact that it's a finish, and arguably one of the most over, yeah, inarguably one of the most over finishes in the history of wrestling, right? Is hilarious. It's hilarious, but like it's not about the elbow, it's about the kick of the arm, and it's about taking off the pad, and it's about the crowd coming up as everybody knows what's about to happen. Anticipation,
1: maybe. The anticipation. anticipation. And then
0: it's just like, again, it's just a standing elbow drop. It's like the safest, uh, again, it's like, if you just, if you show that to a non-wrestling fan, it's like, who cares? Maybe they would much rather see a Swanton Bomb, but the fact that so many people care so furiously (laughs) about The Rock, that's what makes the standing elbow drop more over, sorry, Jeff Hardy, than the Swanton
1: Bomb. Well, but think about it, right, and again, your wealth of knowledge it dwarfs mine, but Hulk's Hulk's finish was a piece of shit, right? It was a light right? drop. like, I mean, and even you know John Cena's finish, you know, yeah, you yeah. Know. Austin's not visually yeah. spectacular. I mean, but like it's like the all fact- masters of the emotion, all masters right. of the anticipation. Why do you think these guys, you know, and you mentioned the Swanton Bond, you know, and the Hardy's are great, like. I always, you know, before I knew and now I love it. Like, why do you think it takes them five minutes to climb to the top rope? <laughs> I mean, right. But it's because it's like, oh, yes, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, it's it's the only sports entertainment vehicle where you can do that. A 60 yard touchdown pass is over in four seconds, a home run gets out in three seconds, right? right. Like, right. you know, you know, the only the only sporting event that I can think of or, or activity in sports is, believe it or not, like the triple in baseball, because, you know, like, oh, my God, like is he going? Da, 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 da. Right. You kind of think about that. But wrestling is so singularly unique in that you are spoon feeding anticipation. Yes. To people that want to eat it, you know, with with two spoons, you know, right.
0: Like it's, right. It's, You're dangling a steak over a bunch of hungry yeah. dogs and they're just like, oh, no, my God. we want it.
1: And, and it. and it's it's it's. It's brilliant in its simplicity. And that's what I always say. Like, uh, we can go to tough enough, but I will say, yep. again, in, in addressing some of the things that I learned, what I learned is the beauty of black and white. What I, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. You know, good guy in a white cowboy hat, bad guy in a black cowboy hat. Star Wars. Luke yep. Skywalker is in, in a white toga and, and Darth <laughs> Vader's in a black mask and a black cape. Black versus white. Good versus evil. Easy to understand, easy to digest, yeah, easy to warm up with. Right. And, and, any, and anybody can genius. understand that story. Fucking genius.
0: Right. And the fact that it's under the guise of combat, like com- people have been fighting ever since there've been people. So it's like right. another story that even if you don't, even if it's not super clear who the baby face is and who the heel is, because there are a lot of shades of gray nowadays, at the end of the day. It's one person trying to defeat another person, trying to pin their shoulders to the mat. And anybody, regardless of language or culture, can understand that story.
1: So now you take that, right, the ease of it, and then complicate it in in the best way by introducing nuance, nuanced characters. Yes. Right? And introducing nuanced storylines. And again, that's why the valuation of this company starts with a B, because they get it.
0: Right. They get it. Right. And when it's done right, it's just, it's magic. It's absolute magic.
1: Um, and, and the reason why we have Tough Enough and the reason why we're talking and the reason why wrestling will be part of pop culture until I'm longer. Right. You know? And and then long after that.
0: I think so too. Um, so let, let's circle back to Tough Enough, but again, I appreciate the crash course yes. in, in your, yeah. your education and experience in the business. So 92 to 2006, um, Briefly, I would love to hear what you were working on between 2006 and 2000, the end of 2010, when they're starting to talk about uh, tough enough. Um, just touch on it briefly, if you don't mind. But then,
1: no, I mean, I was doing, a, like I said, I I, I was a own my own company, but I was a solo um, director producer, okay, um, freelancing, and I, free, uh, yeah, freelancing. I, w- but I hooked up with a, a production company in New York that repped me, a, a post production facility, really that rep me. So they were really able to get me uh, a lot of projects. Um, and this was in the infancy of what, we, you know, what is now called branded content, which everyone is doing. Um, uh, I did it at WWE, excuse me, uh, with Loudmouth productions up until 99. And the, the branded content initiatives are really launching around that time at the turn of the century. So I did, a, I did work with Ryan Seacrest for Pepsi. I did work with uh, um, uh, a couple of the women from the, the view on a, a, a crest commercial. Um I I did a lot of uh of that type of stuff almost exclusively short form. Okay. Um you know th- a minute to 30 seconds um but working with a ton of talent. Um and I guess that's a good segue into when I came back. You know, I I, I uh what what's this, uh, Faith Hill's husband who is the the singer for Tim McGraw? Uh, Tim McGraw for Outback Steakhouse. I worked okay. with him. You know, a lot of a lot of celebrity a branded content and endorsement deals. Um, and it really gave me even more of a lesson in dealing with talent. Sure. Um, this, and this unders- is top
0: shelf talent. This is, world yeah, yeah. Talent. Yeah.
1: A lot of athletes, a lot of, um, uh, uh, singers you know, and, and singers. Yeah. Even with yeah. WWE, you know, back in the day, you know, Kid Rock and, and, uh, the, when, when we produced the Rolling Stones, uh, tour that WWE did believe it or not and I you know had had a and got to interview the Rolling Stones wait 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 wait
0: wait 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 WWE produced a Rolling
1: Stones tour uh, I am again I apologize maybe it wasn't a tour. it was a pay-per-view Rolling Stones did a pay-per-view at MSG and WWE produced it. Yes what? that is yeah that is correct. When
0: did that happen? This is like you want,
1: you first want me to Google I'm it hold on let me Google yeah if you're in, in, in front, front of your it, computer it. Hold on, WWE produce produ-
0: Unbelievable. So somebody had to have seen what WWE was doing as far as of their course, production of value. Of course, of course. But they were like, but somebody at the Rolling Stones camp was like, oh, that's who we want.
1: So in 2012, they produced one more shot, um, which was the final show of their 50th anniversary tour uh, in 2012. Wow, so it's just a one show
0: deal. Last yes, show on the their pay-per-view. 50th anniversary show, but at yes. Madison Square Garden.
1: And I got to, I got to interview the stones. What uh,
0: You must have been yeah. Shitting bricks.
1: I wasn't. And, and that goes back to the whole point is that you learn at WWE how to treat talent. you learn you know they're they, people. They, they smell fanboys. they yeah. smell they smell fear. they're like, you know they get so you, you have to walk the fine line of confidence and respect. You have to walk the fine line of, of co- being comfortable and not being you know don't pretend to be their friend. I I, I should have
0: chosen my words more carefully. Not shitting bricks, like like oh my god, marking out, or oh my god, I'm nervous. But like, just like, who would have thought that you got you get to interview the Rolling Stones? Like, like, can you believe this is real life right now? Type thing. Yes.
1: Yes. And and again, so so you asked about uh, my time in between, you know, 2006 and 2011. It was a lot of things like that, which was were heavy talent, celebrity related, which just Kept feeding, feeding the growth of my my producerial career, right? Um, and led me to to, to tough enough, which right. was you know that understanding of how to work with talent, large and small, right? Um, how to uh, how to uh, manage those relationships, which was a large part of what I did on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm just throwing lops. I'm throwing segues to you. These are like no, no it's, are it's great. These, no, it's great. Perfect. I'm, and i'm eating it yeah. up i'm like as soon as I, I'll, I'll
0: know where we're going as soon as you're
1: done Keep going yeah, yeah. um before so, yeah, so that's so that's where we, we don't need to talk about that time too much but that's no what no that yeah i just wanted to me. touch
0: yeah. on it and that little factoid alone just blew my mind so thank yeah. you for that um yeah. before we we dive into thank enough,
1: you to google for you know, yeah, for, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, google for, coming through for, for nine years ago reminding me that stuff, right?
0: <laughs> um how can people and by the way you? we
1: crushed it We, we oh we, i we, bet oh my god again, Kevin and and the live event team is, you know, and I have nothing to do with it. So I can say this from, from, with, with perspective, the best in the business. Mm -hmm. Let's move on.
0: Okay, great. Um, how can people either keep track of you on social media if you want them to, can they follow any, any of that stuff, anything you're working on that you can discuss that people should keep an eye out for or anything?
1: You know, no. Don't waste okay. your time with me. Waste your time with AJ. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, keep listening to this. I'm, I'm, You know, I'll just say this. I am. Um, I partnered. Here's a, just another bit of trivia. I partnered with another um, amazing uh, WWE former employee. His name is Barry Bross. He and I are partners in a production company called Eleven O Two Creative. Um, and you know, we're each others. We complement each other very well we worked together on and off for 18 years at WWE. He, wow. he, he became, he took over for David Sahadi when David Sahadi left, worked with John Gaburik, another name yep. in the wrestling zeitgeist. Who's, you know, who's earned his reputation, you know, every bit, you know, just, just one of those guys that is, is part of the fabric of the business. Um. Uh. So Barry and I are partners and our, 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 our time together at the company has just, You never, there's no further, I'll say this in a relationship to what you do in your side of the business as well. There's no more fertile ground to become better at what you do than the WWE on the production side, you know, everyone that leaves that company, wherever they go, they're going to be the best at that company. Like, you know, whatever, you know and arguably I could probably say it on the business side too, just cause it's so all encompassing. Like these, you know, the business side is just 24 seven and these, these guys work their asses off. And, and, you know, but when you leave the WWE, you're, you're, you are better than when you got there and where you go, you're going to be the best person there because there's nothing that they're going to ask you to do that. You haven't seen 17 times. There's no dark hole that you haven't been down that you had to claw your way out of, you know, to make shit happen. And I'm, 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 I'm going to throw it back at you. I, you know, I know your time, um, in the business, it it, it was spent differently than mine, but do you feel that way? Um, with regard to people you've worked with on the, either the in front of the mic or in the ring with regard to WWE talent?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Like, even though my first, like, I went through tough enough, got eliminated in the eighth episode, Um, But they brought me back several months later to just do, to just job for Brodus Clay on Superstars. I remember that. Yeah. Just, just being in, uh, just being inside the machine and just seeing everything that happens as far as, as setup and, and production and shooting promos and doing photo shoots and just everything happening all at once. And I'll never forget my first time there. It was like that was my like I get it now moment. I get why everybody works so hard. I get why it's so stressful. I get that WWE demands so much from everybody there and like it was intimidating just being a part of that. And like I when I was eliminated from tough enough, I was believe I mean probably this doesn't come as a super surprise but somewhat relieved because I was just so emotionally, physically and mentally exhausted. And so to be which
1: which made the show great by the way.
0: Oh God, yeah! Because then you get people being just raw, it's just like broken down, and of course that makes for great television. But yes, to, but just be a, a part of that machine. Like I felt like just like being being out there and getting not literally not a single lick of offense, which didn't bother me one bit. But just seeing how tight that ship was run just gave me an ent- a whole new respect for it. And I was like, oh my God, I really was not ready for this. I was not. So ready.
1: I have a continued question. I didn't mean to cut you off. So great. knowing your background and knowing you know the time that you spent, you know, on the indies before we we met and whatever. And then you tell us you tell me about this time with Brodus. What was the pre-match ritual like? Were you you like it had to be different than or a bit different from the indie world? And then, you know, have the pre-match. Ritual and and then execute and then the post match ritual and, and and sort of what goes on and and, and afterward T- talk to me because I'm interested in learning that as well. Sure,
0: sure. So pre match, you know, it was me and a bunch of extras there, a bunch of local guys to the San Francisco Bay Area. This was in San Jose at the the Shark Tank or whatever it's called. Now, yeah, anyways.
1: yeah.
0: Um, and uh, you know they were just looking for somebody for Brodus to to manhandle in in a squash match, and uh, arn Anderson was going to pick who it was, and he ended up picking me. And we we plotted that match out step by step by step. Nice. Uh, it was you know there was no calling it on the fly. There was no working and you know working for the crowd. It was a very carefully planned mauling. And we went over <laughs> it you know two or three times. And we we didn't actually like bump or anything before the doors opened up. We just kind of wandered around the ring. And here's what's going to happen over here. And then he's going to take me over here. And here's the finish. And we're good. And so the moments leading up to the match, like you know, I was doing my I was doing what, what you were shooting in, in uh in 92. I was doing the, <laughs> the push-ups and the and just stretching and all that stuff. And uh I went out there while the lights were down. I was the jobber that was already in the ring when the lights came back up and nice Brodus got a <laughs> <in> full entry. <entrance. laughs> well,
1: I, I haven't heard that term jobber in a long time. Oh though. yeah man
0: I was I was that jobber. I was wearing jobber tights that night and <laughs> uh you know still just it was it's it's weird because that's a moment you think about for your entire life, your entire pursuit of pro wrestling. But then when you're in it, it's like, it's this weird, almost out of body experience. It's like, you're in the ring, you know, the red, you can see the red light on the camera and you're just like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. It's happening. Um, it was over before I, I even realized what, what had happened, but um, you know, got some, some positive feedback from uh, Billy Kidman who was running gorilla nice. at the time nice. stars. Brodus was was I mean? I I didn't feel a thing in the ring. It looked like I got creamed. Didn't feel a That's thing. Amazing. One thing that I did learn though uh, that I, I'll never forget this because Mike Kyoto was the referee, and he's refereed of course, some man. of the most iconic yeah. matches in wrestling history. Yeah. So I just yeah. remember Brodus just did that kind of crashing crossbody pins me. I'm looking up at the lights in the Shark Tank where I watched SummerSlam 2001 as a fan and countless house shows. Mike Kyoto's checking on me to make sure I'm okay. Um, and then when we get to the back, it was Kyoto that pulled me aside and was like, Hey man, just so you know, like this is TV. We're looking to pick up as much as we possibly can, both visually and with sound. Cause what happened was when, when the three count was being called, I thanked Brodus for the match. And then when the three count <laughs> when the three count was over, he didn't say anything. So I thanked him again. I thanked him too Oh twice. my
1: God. And that so
0: is I don't, I, I, right? I was like, I wasn't told, you know, that was just something about television. <laughs> and I don't think it was loud. Oh like, my
1: God. I made sure that, that only brilliant. he could hear it,
0: but Kyoto could hear it too. So he's just like, at television, like, wait till you get to the back to thank your opponent because if the camera picks it up, the illusion is fucking ruined. So. Exactly. So that, that was my first kind of not just glimpse at the machine in action and being, a, a, you know, the smallest cog inside it. But also, like, it's a completely different ballgame when you're performing for television versus performing at, at an independent show. Um,
1: Doesn't it I, say something in, in in sort of the amazing juggernaut that that lesson came from the referee? Like right, isn't that right. amazing like even down and and we all know how important they are because they do so much work behind the stage behind the scenes too, but like Absolutely. You know, they are uh they are a conductor of that dance yeah you know, they that, you know they are they are an integral part of of the enjoyment of every match, and uh, you know again, like for people who don't get it, you hear that story and you're like, wow, like it is it is you know from from A to Z. You know, it's just Right. everybody is has to be on board. Yeah.
0: and it's easy to just kind of discredit the referees and cuz you know, they're not talent, they're not they're not the camera people capturing it, they're not the director in the back, but they are the last line between backstage and what's happening in the ring. They are so critical to the ebb and flow of a match and to keep to keep the talent in the ring aware of like What's going on, and if what they're doing is working, and how much time they have, and everything—it's there—is no. Everybody has a such an important role, and everybody demands so much of everybody that I imagine being a part. Going back to your point, because everybody demands the best from everybody all the time, everybody gets better.
1: Well, and I'm sure you know your your um, relationships and your experiences with talent. You probably hear heard stories about you know how referees have helped them far more than i you know and 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 you know whether it was uh, through through recognizing an injury or right. you know hide, hiding a box finish or whatever it was i don't know but you know they're 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 unsung heroes for sure and, and that's a great story though that you got your come up it's like that that's fucking brilliant man i, I did I i'll love never it. forget I love it.
0: it i'll never I forget love it. it um all right so it's late 2010 WWE has tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, we'd love for you to come back. We'd love for you to be a part of Tough Enough um, and, and stick around for the indefinite future as they're starting to nurture this idea of the what would become the WWE Network. Correct. What was the integration process like into, into Tough Enough? Did you have a role in, in molding the concept? Um, and I would also love to hear about the first either interaction or your first time meeting Uh, Eric Van Wagenen who came from the reality world with Contender and The Apprentice and some of the most infamous reality shows that have ever been seen up to that point.
1: So uh, that's all good questions and I'll try and hit them all. So, so, you know, having, having um, had my past at WWE, you know, and then them calling me saying, uh, and I actually got a call from John DeBure from Big who, um, who, a lot of tough enough shep- shepherd of tough enough one through five and and, right. and you know a brilliant show in its own right you know and certainly set the stage but you know this was this was different yeah you know, this was this was bigger that's I, fair I, I, yeah, absolutely I know, bigger i mean the the, the, the analogy I, I remember telling myself back in the day and again the mtv Tough Enough was a huge success, you know, and without it, you and I wouldn't be talking. Of course not. But I re- I remember me saying to myself, like, there's a, like, that was great television. I want to, I want to do a great movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was different, like, I, I want this to be that much up a notch. And I think we were able to do that. Yeah. And, and, and And that was because of the dream team, you know, starting from, you know, USA and Chris McCumber to Kevin and to Eric Benwagon and, you know, all the way down, we were able to do that because everyone wanted that, right? So that's so that's number one, uh, including big, and that's you know, and he was running a a a, a, a the promo department uh, at Stanford, which had ballooned into a you know tenfold from when I was in it. So he couldn't do this tough enough. So they reached out to me to come back and do it. Right. Um. um so the though I transition- think he was a
0: part of that firing squad. Of um, course. Oh yeah. He in was casting that cast that, you know, that final yes, round so, of casting with shed media, WWE and USA. He, I
1: think he was there. He was and Kevin was there. Yep. He was there. And, I itis and, and, and by the way, all great people to have, who better to recognize who's going to work in this environment than someone who crushed it in that environment being right. big and who better than, than, than than Johnny Lauren to say, okay, I, I can see glimmers of a future WWE star in this person, not that person. This person, this person, not that person. And same with Kevin, who's you know in front of the cam, you know, sitting in front of the thirty monitors and and sees you know sees it all. You right. Know. So so uh, were you in the back room? to Richard? Yes, I was there.
0: Okay, you were there. And, and and
1: again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, I'm remembering a, a woman by the name of Heather Olander. It was she. I think she might have been the uh, you know on the USA side. Um, name the casting ring casting team, a bell. yeah so yeah but but you know it, 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 they were the, all there right um so so well, uh, i think you asked me a question going back so the transition into toughen up was was seamless because of my past sure and and um because of uh the trust that i had established with kevin and john uh and and vince um yeah. uh and and to kevin's credit um you know he I was very early in the process introduced to Chris McCumber uh, at USA. And so his comfort level and, you know, Kevin's endorsement of me to him allowing for that comfort level. So it was a very seamless process of me getting in and, and, you know, being the, 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 the face of the show from a WWE perspective behind the scenes. Um, Before we
0: get to Eric, I do want to ask real quick. um, What, like, who is feeding you the vision of what this tough enough was going to look like compared to previous shows, or were you a part <laughs> of that molding process? And maybe that transitions into Eric. I don't know. Uh,
1: that's a good question. I I, I don't remember, okay. but I will tell you this: uh, you know, we all were a part of it, including Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think the show really. We knew what we were going to do until a little guy by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, uh, signed on. Yeah. Right, like the show was going to be what the show was. Yeah. And I again 11 years ago now or 10 years ago, long time. Those those intricacies are hard to remember. Right. Uh, and I'm not hiding anything. I just don't know no, but I yeah. will you know, I will tell you that you know, everything changed when it was when it was steep.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything changed for the better, obviously. Were you a part um, of the
0: process when it was supposed
1: to be Jericho? I was. Okay. Um uh, but again, not not I wasn't asked, hey, do you think he'll be a good um, host? No, I, yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. I am a big fan of Chris Jericho. Um, he and I worked together a boatload. Um, we had a couple of clients, Chef Borody, um, an energy drink called um, Stack or Two. Oh my um, God, of course, the world's strongest so, fat burner. <laughs> right, so so I did a bunch of stuff with him and Fozzy with... You know, uh, uh just a ton of stuff. So we we I really liked him. And this was before, you know, uh he, he was big, but he wasn't stone cold big yet. Right. Um right. so I was actually excited to work with him. Um, but I when and I forget what it was, and I'm trying to remember Eric might have mentioned it. I dancing it with dancing the stars. with the stars. Yeah. yeah so something yeah. happened that he couldn't do it. And you know, Steve is his own animal. And you got to commit to that animal, and this is all as you know, complimentary because he deserves every bit of it more. You know, right. He, he, his nickname for me was "Body Double." It was like, "What's up, Body Double?" Body
0: like, Double.
1: You know, you can tell I'm a little right. grayer now, and, and I didn't shave this morning, but you know, he, he would call me, "What's up, Body Double?" And this was before you know toughen up. This is back when we worked together um, when when he became Stone Cold. You know, right. When when, when Dave Sahadi and and Chris Chambers shot um, those vignettes where he. You know, with the breaking glass and the dog barking and the and the warehouse, you know, how would church, you know, all that stuff that they did. I was along for the ride and and developed a rapport with him, and then also started putting him in some commercials and stuff. So we had a relationship, but um, he, you know, because of the character that he created, created a character,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: created a situation where, like, hey, if Stone Cold is doing the show, you got Stone Cold's doing the show, and I think where, and this is going a little bit further down the line, I think my greatest contribution to the show was fighting for those moments um, where Steve could be even more of Steve yeah. uh, or agreeing, you know, with Eric or taking a nod from Kevin Dunn or, but just finding those moments, um, whether leading the, the the ideation or agreeing with the the decision to, to let that, and we can get into some of those moments later on. Sure, but, sure the show became a different animal when Steve came on board all for the better. Right. And, you know, uh, as such, the casting process became uber important because with Steve running the show, we wanted, you know, the 14 ki- kids to be, you know, uh, the, the literally all walks of life and you want the some that would, that knew him, some that didn't, some that would fear him, some that would stand up to him, some that would, you know, all those things that would make for good television, you know. And then, you know, we had a couple of outliers. Obviously, the, you know, Rima Faki was a really interesting situation, right? Um, you know, her involvement. Um, we had, you know, the two people from FCW that were, you know, were that it was important for them to, or, or FCW to have a presence, but, you know, not guaranteed shit. You know, they were, they were, they were part of the process. Yeah. But really, Finding um, a cross-section of people that would work well with Steve was was what the process of casting is all about.
0: Right, right. I do want to crack open the casting process a little bit, but since you brought it up, it's interesting that you you mentioned uh, Andy and Christina, both of whom were contracted to FCW at the time. And remember, this is before the Performance Center or NXT. But it was never really made public that they were already under contract. And so it's like you couldn't once that got out that you know what why are there fcw contracted wrestlers on tough enough like that's you know and then well
1: well and uh, it's a great question and i will say this cuz obviously we knew but right. uh, again if i remember correctly their contracts were ripped up right they yeah. they, they were so they were according- no longer under fcw at the time right and certainly by by um uh the the first person going out Oh wait, was Christina or was it Arian? Who was the one who was Arian
0: Was the first person going out,
1: but immediately But, but, but Andy and Christina were, were Andy and Christina were signed, right?
0: Any well, Andy and Christina were were under contract to FC. Right,
1: so yeah. but certainly you could see, especially with Christina, and this is I'm not disparaging because she was a lovely, lovely woman. Right. She was she was not anywhere better than than Evelisse, uh, you know, or, or you know, you or I don't want to play you know gender here like right, right. So her her level of talent was arguably on the lower end of the spectrum mm-hmm. not on the higher end of the spectrum so I don't think there was any fair advantage in that regard and I was told about it uh you know obviously in the casting process right. and I was you know it, it was the contracts were ripped up and again I will go back to this it was very important to Steve that this be real that this be you know that there was no bullshit. favoritism no, no, it was fuck favorite. There was no bullshit. Okay, and there was no. I, I'm telling you on the record, there was no bullshit. Like, you know, it, it, he was he was, you know, he was it was his show. Right. In, in regard to what he saw, and then you know, I can get into all the coolness about the elimination and discussions and the, all that great shit that happened behind, which was my some of the my favorite memories of the show. Right. Um. But you know, as it related to here's our 14 people. Here's day one at the arena in San Diego it was a fair shake and it was hit the ground running and let's fucking go. Right. And right. that's why the show was great. Cause I think the wrestling fan is so smart. They're so educated. They would have called bullshit from jump street and it, they didn't need to, cause it was no bullshit.
0: Right. Right. Um, there was, uh, so I interviewed bill DeMott recently and he brought uh, up, something. how is,
1: how is, how is bill?
0: Bill seems great. Bill seems like he's he's doing
1: doing really well. Um, yeah, he he had a he had a obviously a really tough event, and you know my yeah. heart went out to him. And I you know, but but I'm glad to hear he's doing well.
0: He, he's doing well, and also he's like just really made it his life's work to to kind of take that tragedy and and get the message out about how it shouldn't have happened and how, how to prevent it from happening again and have that tragedy affect other people and their families. So he's, he's doing doing amazing work. I'm not surprised. Good. Um, And still doing some appearances from time to time too. Of course, of course, of course. He, he mentioned that Rima came in under some unique circumstances and that she had a minimum amount of appearances that she was expected to make on the show that she, 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 was was supposed to stick around for an established amount of time?
1: Can you speak to that at all? You know, again, I I, I want to be an open book. I don't remember the particulars, but I I I think he's right. Okay, um, she was um, Miss Universe, Miss USA, Miss USA. Okay, so so I think the pushback was that okay, like if if this is the condition that you want her involved in the show. I guess that's okay, but God knows we're not baby, we're not handling her with kid gloves, and right, and they did not, no, you know, they like, did not, and nor and nor did you guys, which I really respected. Like you know, like you, you, you're like, I'm, 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 and this is a question for you. I'm, I am, I suspect that you guys knew who she was as far as you know her background, and that there was probably some sort of why the fuck is this woman here, hundred percent. And you let her have it, which was yeah. fucking great. Right? right. So, so, so I, again, I, I, w- I would be honest with you. I don't remember the particulars. I tend to think that bill is right. But again, for me, I, I, who cares? Cause she got destroyed in, in, right. all, in the best way possible in the, in the, the most realistic. I mean, we didn't go out of way to hurt her. We no. went out of the way. We, the, you as, as fellow contestants went out of the way to make sure she was holding, pulling her own weight. And, right. The, the trainers went out of their way to not show any preferential treatment, right. and we as producers made sure that the audience knew that.
0: Yeah, and and I feel yeah. like that's the trainers. I feel like we're also very fair about treating everybody the same, whether they had wrestling experience or not. It's like whether you were male or female, like it didn't right. it didn't matter. They were going to put everybody through the same paces and evaluate. Bill said something really interesting. He said, We weren't there to train everybody. We were there to evaluate their potential on performing on the WWE stage. And under yeah. that,
1: please. one 1,000%. 1, and I, I think Eric said that uh, in some way. And I think, you know, what people forget is like, this show is to find a WWE superstar. Right. It wasn't to create a reality show uh, celebrity. Right. It wasn't there. You know, this was a legit talent search right right it was a legit talent search so so you know we can speculate a a lot of things why andy won what happened and i heard you talk about it with luke which was a great interview but at the end of the day and and i think eric said this about steve like who's who, who was going to be who had the best chance of being a wwe superstar at the time the show was made and at the time what wwe was looking
0: for right right
1: so now and here's the other great thing about that right like Think about, think about, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. Let's use let's use um American Idol, right? Okay. Like how how many American Idol contestants that went out sixth, fifth, tenth, whatever? Fuck, one of them's the lead singer of Queen right now. Like, you know, right. one of them sings the national anthem at every goddamn sporting event ever created. You know, like these people, so the talent, if it's there, you know, that's what we were looking for. Like I had no control over who was gonna win we as casting members had no control, but what we had control of was making compelling television and helping in that process. Right. right. So so, um, I think, I hope that answers that question. That like, and circling back to Rima, like she was a great addition to the show because she was so singularly unique. And the fact that Bill and Booker and Trish and Steve didn't treat her differently, legitimized her time there. Right, I see what you're saying. Uh, you know, like yeah w- was her spot taken by somebody else yes probably but you know what who's to say that that other person would have been you know one of my favorite moments was that that midnight workout where she was just getting dest- destroyed in a good way and that was 100 p- p- completely organic like right. not planned not like it was we i remember running fucking down there with uh, it, it, maybe it was eric maybe it wasn't like you know like this is going on we got to get cameras at let's fucking go right 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 so you know so there's an example of you know i don't think it matters some of the the you know the machinations of of how the cast was set up it just matters that it worked right and it worked
0: yeah and it that did. that
1: that you know there there's the casting discussion you know
0: yeah yeah exactly um who who stood out for you when when people were in front of that uh Firing squad of casting before the show actually started. Was there anybody where you were you were particularly pulling for, or anybody that you were like, you know, I don't think they, and not like not that you need to talk shit on anybody. I'm just asking for an honest opinion at the time.
1: Um, you know, I I, I wish I I wish I recorded myself back in That's the day. Funny. I wish, I mean, Eric told the funny story about hiding uh, uh uh Martin under there, and I don't remember that, but I believe him because you know why the fuck not right. Um, but I do, I do remember either getting on or off the bus in San Diego, the first night that you guys, you know, we we you guys humped gear and swept floors and like whatever. And I remember like watching the procession again, coming on and coming off and being like, man, we nailed it with regard to personality differences. Man, we nailed it with regard to you know the United Colors of Benetton. You know, we nailed it in regard to um the, the levels of physical capabilities. Like, I, I don't remember, and, uh, you know, anything up until then. And then obviously as the show went on, you know, uh, appreciation grew for certain people, you know, and, and you saw it like you, you know, right. you, you know, I, 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 I like him, but there were certain people that just never distinguished themselves to, to the viewer, to the, trainers and Steve and to the, the, you know, the back of the camera staff and, and right. those, a lot of those people left early. Now here's a funny thing. I didn't realize how fucking good mad dog was when we yeah, had, like, I had a feeling dude, that's that guy, going, dude, that guy is a, is a madman. man. Yeah. Like, but, but you know what, if I don't think that it, it, it that disappointment, that soul crushing moment, which was so beautifully captured, Made his career.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It fucking made his career. He wouldn't be where he is today as one of. And, and you don't. I don't know. You can corroborate, like, just from the, the little I see. Like he's a he's a top independent cat, right? Like oh, he's
0: has been for years.
1: Right, right, and he's making he's making a living, crushing it, traveling to eighty countries a year and doing his thing. I think because of that night, yeah. Because of that soul crushing night. Because of Steve's recognition of you know what? You, you need, you need your ass kicked, dude. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you need your ass kicked in a way that's going to light a fire under your ass. Um, So I didn't know that. And, you know, but there were other people like I knew Evelise had a future, like you just knew it, you know, you know, there were, you know, uh, Martin uh, just was a, a, you know, a fan favorite or or, or a results favorite throughout the show. You just knew he was going to do it. Like, and you had your aha moment with rock, you know, and that was, you know, for you, your maybe your first and only time where you really outshined the whole cast. You know? I'd
0: agree with that. Um,
1: yeah. Um, but so to answer your question, I don't think I just remember. I I, I don't have any recollections of being at, at Universal Studio, uh, Universal Studios, and, and you know the 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 tower over there by the uh, by the park after the casting being like having specific oh this one this one this one. But I do remember that night in San Diego saying this is this is the right cast
0: yeah so again shout out to uh Meg Berry and everybody else on (laughs) on casting who just absolutely killed it with this the season of the show she's she made a point to say that casting oftentimes catches maybe an unfair amount of flack like people are just quick to blame casting and I don't know I I imagine that is the case because she's still casting reality shows and and was prior to Tough Enough so you know, just in the event that they, you know, don't feel like they get the love they deserve. Shout out to casting for killing it on that season. Well, two.
1: shout out to casting. And that team, again, was, was I probably either Shed or USA's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but goddamn, they, they, they nailed it. Um, and, you know, Shed hired Eric and, and Shed's recognition of, you know, this show needs a, somebody like Eric. Um and, uh, you know, I don't know if this name rings a bell, but his name is Alex Domenenko. He was sort of the he was the top dog at Shed at the time and also a great dude. And, you know, I think Eric mentioned it in his interview that that this is what this wasn't really in Shed's wheelhouse. Right. Like, you yeah, know, they, they did boozy housewives and, you know, uh, you know, and and soccer wags. You know, they right. this wasn't really their thing. Um, but Alex recognized that and said, you know, let's bring in a guy that could be our guy, which was. Eric and listen, he eventually being our guy. Cause then we turned around and hired him for, for legend's house. So like right. the rapport, the, it worked out great, but you know, shout out to Alex for, for, for making that call shout out to whoever at USA, Chris McCumber, who had to approve it. And, and, you know, it, it was a dream team on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't just
0: Eric that came back for legend's house. A lot of the same production staff, a lot of the same producers ended up. Well, that
1: was all Eric, that, Eric, Eric, Eric has a lot of Vince in him and, and in a way that he's a super loyal cat. And if mm-hmm. you do right by Eric, he's going to take care of you for as long as he can. Vince is the same way. Like that's, you know, you, you see some of these guys that have been with the company forever because Vince recognizes uh, and appreciates and, uh, you know, is a loyal cat. And right. so Eric, and again, probably why I, I think legends house was equally successful for different reasons. Yeah. You know, um, Eric was a large part of that. So yeah, um, but yeah, so that that sort of speaks to the casting and, right. and how Eric got involved because you did ask that part. Yep. Um and so I wasn't obviously involved in that, but you know, once we started casting and once we started plotting out the the story arcs and all that stuff, Eric and I were worked together every day for nine weeks or 10 weeks or three months or four months or whatever it was.
0: Right, right. Uh quick quick side question. Did Eric ever uh hit you up about the possibility of working on Lucha Underground with him?
1: No, no, no. Okay. no. I was uh I was where was I when he did? Lucha? This was
0: like 2014
1: ish. So I was still, I guess I was still at WWE at the time. I left oh, okay. WWE in 2016 or gotcha. 2015. Can't remember. Yeah, I was still at WWE, and quite frankly, I loved Lucha again. Yeah. As not not a fan of the 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 uh, of of the technical side of wrestling. I fucking loved Lucha for the production of it. I yeah. thought it was so cool, and they really went out there. different. But with that being said, like. Would I have ever left WWE for Lucha? No effing way! Like, right? You know, when you when you when you're playing for the Yankees, you know you don't want to go play for you know anyone else,
0: right? I got you. Um. So going into tough enough at this point, it's like you got to feel for the cast. You're starting to see people like you're starting to see people drop off. Um. And I do I do want to address that real quick. Like I think it helped. Matt Cross get obviously reach more, more wrestling fans. Cause he was on WWE television and I don't care who you are. If you're on WWE TV, you're reaching more people than if you're on right. just about any other product. Um, I think he would have killed it regardless of, of making it on tough enough. Like I, I he's just I hope you're, uh, yeah, maybe he, he's just that. I don't know. I, I think he's just that good. Like he's,
1: he's he just, is, he is that good. But do you think he would have been, the the mad dog with the beard and whatever. You don't like you said you had an aha moment with the rock where like this is the side of the business I'm really good at. Yeah. I I could be wrong, but I think Matt had an aha moment after that saying, like, you know what? I need to embrace some of my Darth Vaderism. I need to yeah. embrace some of my dark side. I can't be, I can't be this cute little guy that does high spots all the time. You know, like, true. like he needs a I character. So, so I think I'm getting it from a legend who you know i so i would he have been great yes but he wouldn't have been the great he is today without that moment i, I think agree. that's
0: absolutely fair 100 percent. and like he ended up killing it lucha underground as some yes. havoc like yes. a bunch of tough enough people did evil went there martin went he was there. great the, yeah. marty
1: the moth was great how was his wedding by the way oh it
0: was so much fun it was such a blast yes. uh Eric Watts was there, so we I had know, like, a little, little tough enough reunion. It was it was great. a lot of fun, and you know Marty is just such a ham and such a
1: dork that that's that great. It, it, it was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, um, I'm gonna reach out to him and send him my love and congrats. It's awesome. awesome, awesome. What what was one of the biggest surprises or challenges
0: then in the early part of Tough Enough? Because there was a lot there was a lot going on, and and so many cameras i mean i think eric said you, for every hour that we see as a viewer on television there's 300 hours of footage to sift through was
1: yeah that might be accurate that might be accurate uh you know we had a lot of cameras uh that budget i heard you had the conversation with with eric and uh, he was spot on like it yeah. was it was a healthy budget Just to remind everybody,
0: it was at least five hundred grand per episode. Sometimes closer to again, I don't
1: know the exact, but it was a healthy. It was a healthy budget. Um, uh, We had full support of USA. Um, We had uh, uh, you know it it was it was it was a lot, and the expectations were you better not fuck this up, right? So, (laughs) so yeah, and rightfully so. So, from Jump Street, we had to get things right. So. there was that pressure, but there was also the excitement. And like, even before the show show started, like I remember going to Hummingbird Ranch and be like, "Wow, this is this is pretty dope." But like, yeah. you know, pretty dope live means how the fuck are we going to cover this shit in this in, in, a, in a you know a small Acres. country? Yeah, <laughs> it's a small country, man. It's <laughs> like crazy. So one of the cool moments that I remember was Eric and his team had been there before me. And I'm like, all right, where are we putting the ring? And there was like a smaller, like almost garage, like storage area with like a roll-up thing that they were going to put the ring in. I'm like, there's no fucking way we're putting a ring in here. Like this is, this is not WWE. Like there's got to be somewhere else better on this ginormous property. He's like, yeah, well we looked at the horse stables, but they're working horse stables and we don't really know. And we walked in the double, the, the wooden doors. Oh yeah. And you had that sort of, Octagonal, like weird center part under the chandelier. It was like
0: this big atrium or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I'm like, I'm like, this is where, this, this is where the rings go. Like, yeah. So those kind of things that happened early, and and Eric's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like this is like, and that was like, you know, and obviously I don't want it to too mine in because Eric, you know, ninety eight of the good decisions were his, and two of them were mine. But you know, but um, <laughs>
0: they were important were too, things. though. Those two were they important.
1: Were, yes, yeah. You know, there were little things like that um, prior to the show that, um, I, I my, and I, I apologize. I, I hope I'm answering the, the question that we're like, okay, we know what we have to get this right. Right. Prior to the red light going on. Um, otherwise we're in big trouble. Right. So, well, I mean, you know,
0: that's, that's the stuff that I'm happy to be talking with you about because right. that's stuff that I didn't see. And nobody has any idea about except the people who yeah, yeah. were there.
1: Well, so little things like that, like that originally we were never shooting in a stable, right? Like, wow. like, Oh, you know think about it if we weren't in the stable we never would have had the the deliberation, right like, right and yeah, that yeah. long that long walkout too like long, the, made the, the just made for just such walkout, a dramatic which was, exit th- th- there's a funny story uh, well, well that was so uh, like eric putting the walk of death in. that was fucking yes, awesome yes you know, that was cool but like you know little things like steve one came up to me he's like Doug, i want to ride a motorcycle into the set one day i'm like that was okay. his idea it was his idea i'm like I, okay yeah of course you're gonna do that and everyone's like we, we, we didn't plan it. We're not doing it. Like, whatever. I'm like, we're fucking doing it. Like, right. We're doing it. Like, there's no reason why we're not. It's, it's, it reeks of stone cold Steve Austin. Right. The so ridden bikes, whatever. Like, is that it. coming from your wrestling background
0: and just being like, here's what's happening and find a way to make it happen?
1: Yes. I okay. would say, or, or recognizing that, you you know, A, it's a great idea. B, pick hills to die on. And if sure. it's a great idea. Don't die in fucking hell. Yes, Steve, you can do it. You've ridden motorcycles your whole life. We got this. Right. Uh, yes. So little things like that. Um. But again, going back to you know before we really dive into the episodic stuff, like there are little moments like um uh, uh, finding the, the the right place or or you know figuring out the bedrooms. You know all those things like little things. Who are we putting with who? How are we doing it? Um. That that really happened before camera roll. You know, first camera roll. That really went to support the success of the show that I had varying levels of, of uh, involvement, approval, uh, uh, you know, denial on uh, across the board.
0: Right. Uh, What was an example of having to catch somebody, maybe Eric, because I imagine you two, you two are working, I imagine pretty hand in hand the whole time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so here, here's the great thing about Eric, right? Like (laughs) I was, I don't want to say that I'm the enemy, but I was the wrestling guy. Right, mindset, nice. right? right? And he didn't even mention that. So I was the wrestling guy, and my what I was looking out for was WWE assets and WWE sensibilities and WWE uh, uh, branding uh, staying true to the brand. Staying true to the brand, right? But I having my other side, I also knew what was good television, right? So um I think that was always my biggest challenge. Like, where do I push back on Kevin Dunn or you know, Big or whoever else was on the, the WWE side saying, like, listen, like this is a good idea. You're like, and and when were the times when I had to go the other way, which were more often where I'm like, Eric, we're doing it this way for this reason. Right. Now, what made Eric great was like, okay, but well, with that, maybe we could do a little bit different, do that, and then we'd come together. I so, see. you know, and again, I think that's what made it for uh, that's what made it a great show. I got educated in reality television. Eric got educated in WWE uh, uh, mentality, WWE uh, emotions, culture? WWE yeah. culture, all that stuff. So we taught each other a little bit um, and we butted heads when we need to. We acquiesced when we needed to. And we found common ground when we needed to, and that's right. again all part of what I think made the show a success.
0: Right, right. It was a a beautifully chaotic blend of reality television and professional wrestling, sports entertainment. It was, but you but,
1: call it. but I give. I, I'm going to take the word "chaotic" out of it because okay, Eric, Eric and his team were buttoned up, so there was less chaos than you might expect. All right, um, there was more. Uh, and and you'll appreciate this as a wrestling fan as an athlete as a, a tv personality there was less chaos and more um uh, reaction positive reaction to events unfolding in real time
0: okay i got you the chaos i guess was was coming from my perspective as a contestant just being like good, there's dog's good. taking us down good, there's good. On roller good. skates <laughs> uh, we're yeah. fucking That's cheerleading good. like there's all this you know all this That's ridiculous good. Good. shit yeah.
1: chaos is chaos makes a great television.
0: exactly exactly um right. were you the first line of defense um at, who was working hands-on on the show when it came to protecting the business because we we touched on this earlier when we were talking about your your you know coming up in pro wrestling um and this has come up on a number of interviews i've done in the past but there's like WWE didn't want to show where people post on a body slam or didn't want to show putting together a match before a skills challenge, things like that. Was that kind of on you to be like, hey, guys, we can't pull the curtain this far back?
1: So that's a great question. And uh, the answer is. Yes, Um, but it wasn't as hard as you think. Okay, Um, in that. That was why I was brought on, right? Like Kevin. And by virtue of Kevin Vince trusted me and said, listen, you've been in you know what we're all about. Like that's I think why they weren't gonna go out and get a different executive in charge or another co-executive producer. So they wanted somebody that, you know, they trusted implicitly, that loved the business, knew what needed to to be shown, what didn't necessarily need to be shown. So um it was a, a, a big part of my job, but it wasn't difficult, like the 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 challenge. The challenges lied elsewhere, um, right? And and part of that was because we had four legendary talent on camera that came up the same, you know, it, you know, in the same business that I came up in, you know, that was you know focused on the same thing. So Steve wasn't, you know, w- wasn't pushing to, to show any of that, and, right. and you know, and certainly Bill, you know, Bill was <laughs> not that that wasn't that wasn't Bill's. MO at all, mm-hmm. you know, same, same with Booker, Booker in the business, whatever. So I, I, I think that where, where that, you know, became an issue or where th- those efforts lied the most was in educating Eric. Right. And, and his team and, and understanding how to ask questions, you know, in your, in your one-on-one interviews. Um, what is, you know, to your point, what, what 300 hours that you're shooting is a complete waste of time that you never, we're going to never let, let see the light of day. and so don't even fucking bother shooting it anymore. Right. Those kind of things. Right. Um, but, but for the most part, it really, it didn't, it, it wasn't as hard of an issue um because of the the WWE talent that was on set. Um, and because of, uh, how the training, um, you know, how we were able to spin the training, and again, it was all real, but what I mean by the spin is how we were able to spin it into good television.
0: Right, I got you. Um, Was there a moment when Eric, did Eric have an aha moment on the show where he's like, it's kind of similar to yours where he's like, oh, I see what's happening here.
1: You know, that's a question for Eric and I don't remember having one, but I will tell you that um, I think Eric's aha moment was, Holy fuck. Steve Austin is a smart motherfucker. Holy yeah. shit. You know what? Holy shit. We're going to be okay. Cause this guy's in charge or, it, it, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. Saying this is Steve's show. Like, yeah, I think that was his aha moment. Um, having not worked in the business before and certainly not having worked with the type of, uh, you know, larger than life talent that he was at the time and still is, you know? So I think that was his aha moment. And I think he might've even mentioned it. Um, yeah. Uh, in his interview, again, I, I, you know, I don't have it, uh, yeah. no, we, we, but... we
0: spent a good bit of time with him just singing Steve's praises about just being like, this guy is not only obviously a phenomenal professional wrestling icon, this guy knows how to make good television period.
1: He, he knows how to, en- he knows how to engage. Uh, he knows how to, uh, heighten tension. He yep. knows how to, uh, Even in his like, even in his broken skull sessions now, like he knows how to get to the root of what he wants to get.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So I think, I think Eric recognized that early on. Um, Like, think about it. His background in reality was with greenhorns like you, right? Like he was trying to get kids or, or, you know. Survivalists to you know to find an idol or you know or whatever the fuck he was Win doing. Win a boxing
0: competition or yeah, something. Well, yeah, well,
1: no, I mean, but 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 most of his talent were on that side. He did have some great talent on the boxing show, but that was that was after, uh, I believe, right? That was after. I think Contender was was before Tough Enough. I don't think I think Bully Beatdown was, but I don't remember. But yeah, it certainly it certainly was not at the level it was with Steve, as far as control in front of the camera. I see. Right? I like as far as in control, like you know, Sly Stallone may have been in his or, or Oscar De La Hoya behind the scenes with the contender, whoever was in charge there. But as far as trusting someone in front of the camera to drive a program, I think that was his aha moment.
0: Yeah, I got you. Hey everybody! We'll be back with the last half hour of this episode in less than sixty seconds. But I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a ton of ways you can support, many of which are free. Let's start with the free ones. You can, of course, subscribe on your podcast provider of preference by going to thetoughtalkpod.com. You can follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's all at the Tough Talk Pod. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which really does help get more eyes and ears on the show. And if you'd like to support monetarily, you get access to early and ad-free episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and a whole lot more by signing up for the Money Talks tier at patreon.com slash ajkirsch. And finally, if you want to advertise, shoot an email to aj.kirsch at hotmail.com, and we'll get the conversation going. I appreciate you tuning in, everybody. Now back to Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch. Well, since you mentioned it, let's and and you said earlier we were going to touch on it. Let's get into those some of those eliminations because those were the most they were dripping, absolutely dripping with intensity, with drama, and Steve as an amazing a performer as he is in front of 20,000 people in front of three and whoever is like, you know, orbiting the ring at the time, he was just a master at at drawing out tension and creating the, just just moments that you could slice with a knife. What was it like for you to be a part of that process? Where were you watching it from? Like, were you in the darkness at at ringside or were you behind the double doors? And like, you know, I think
1: it changed. There's a lot to digest here. I'm trying to interrupt you. We'll, we'll, we'll go over it. So first of all, where I was, it changed, you know, sometimes I was like you, I wanted to be so close to it. I was, you know, literally just off camera. Um, uh, to the great dismay of Eric who sometimes saw my bright shiny head in, in one of the <laughs> angles and told me to get the fuck out of the way. But no, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I there were times where I was, I wanted to be that close. There were times yeah. where, you know, I stayed back with Bill and and and, and Trish and and Booker in the, in the deliberation room. Um, and that's what, you know, that's an, a, another, you know, insight that I'll share with you, but I also want to throw it back to you. Like you were the one sh- in your pants like, yep. like what was it like for you to you know to uh to you know beat you i'm looking at the chart and you know again and i apologize because i'm trying to remind myself like yeah you were in you were in two of those things and you made it through one of them so yeah. what was it like not getting eliminated that night like that must so i i want to ask you that question and then i'll i'll share some you know some behind the scenes stuff about the deliberation
0: great uh, I mean, at that point, all the marking out was out the window. Like that, right. as soon as Steve rode in on the motorcycle, we we also saw him in San Diego in the ring for the first time. Correct. That was when we right. first saw Steve. So it was like, right. and there's always, there's, there was that moment for me where it's like, I, I mean, I had a lot of these moments on the show where I'm like, holy shit, this is real life right now. This is actually happening. Steve is staring me in the eye and, and just Like, But that went away as soon as we got to work. I'm like, he's my trainer now. It's yes or no, sir. It's do what he asks and do it well. Um, So in the bottom three, it was like...
1: uh, I'm fighting for survival.
0: Fighting for survival. That's it. Just let me make it through this. And let me find a way to prove to everybody that I still deserve to be there. Like, let me me prove to everybody that I have more to offer than what they've seen at this point. And so it was... And I wish... Now I mean now, having done Tough Enough, having done two other reality shows since, my perspective on reality television specifically has changed to if I were watching this show, what would I want to see me do? Well, and
1: Luke Luke Robinson was the king of that.
0: Oh God, he nailed it. He came in with a very calculated game plan, and that's why he made it to one of the two finalists.
1: I and 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 don't discount Jeremiah. I think he was smarter than anyone ever thought.
0: Yeah, Jeremiah, I agree.
1: Jeremiah was a uh, he, you know, and he also vibed with Steve, and I think that's why he lasted so long. He also was good, but Steve loved him for that, for that rattlesnake in Jeremiah, like that. They had that shared thing,
0: and and the whole just like fuck it, let's go, let's see what happens. Like it might be ugly, but I'm still gonna give it more effort than anybody else.
1: And so now we'll circle back to the deliberation. Yes, all of it. All of it was real. Like it was real. Like Jeremiah didn't get to lose until the, you know, the, 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 the third, you know, he was the, he had to the go. final two. He, yeah. Right. But my point is those deliberations were real. Like stone Steve sat at a desk that might've been his, I remember Eric said that they bought a bunch of stuff for his house. Yeah, yeah. And the room was dripping in, in broken skull ranch. It was, yes. it was awesome. And, and that authenticity, by the way, helped in getting to these, things because, uh, you know, these, these uh, outcomes, because I really firmly believe that i not believe I know that Booker, Bill, Trish and Steve were, were all about doing this for reals. You know, like they were, they were, we were in there for sometimes for a long time talking about it. And, and what I give uh, um, Eric credit for. And again, if it happened a hundred times, he caught it 97 times and I caught it three, but like we're in there. Listening to them, and we're we're sometimes driving them like, hey, like we're losing track here, like, or let's focus on whatever. But again, ninety-nine times out of hundred, they really were just talking through their shit, and it was incumbent upon us to listen to what they were saying. And Eric would be like, "That's a touch point when when you're out in the ring," or I'd be like, "Hey, Steve, that was cool. Like, let's expand on that." And then we'd get to you know, so but the the deliberations, there was no, you know, maybe again. pleading ignorance other than however long Rima had to stay there was right. no it was all real yeah and, you know and of course injury played some part in it legit injuries by the way there was no sugar coating you know those were devastating because both Everlye's and and Martin could have gone all the way
0: right right and it's funny you mention that because i'm still really trying to get a hold of Cutman Carlos who was the medic on that show and <laughs> Definitely had had his hands full. Had his hands
1: full. Oh my god. On, on I hope,
0: he's I he's hope seeing he my Facebook yeah. messages, but he's not getting back to me yet. So I'm not super optimistic so, that's gonna happen. But he was so, the sweetest here, guy. Here,
1: Again, here's the thing, right? Like we had a legit medic around because all the time you guys were legit beating yourselves up. Yeah, like legit beating yourself. Like you asked me a couple of aha moments, like and this happened before um, you know, tough enough, but Early on in my career, WWE had a warehouse uh, that was part of the production studio. Like, and they had a workout ring there. Mm-hmm. And very like I'm a PA, or whatever. And, and someone came in It's like, ah, oh, you want to see what it's like to be a wrestler? Rung the ring ropes for a minute. Like just r- bounce between the ropes. Dude, I had welts.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm like, I got this. I played football. I, you know, I am an athlete. They're I, springy. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah, this is great. Dude. After a minute, I was like, that is that's out of control. Fuck that. Back. That's <laughs> out of control, dude. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's painful. Well, and we it's, had it's,
0: we had three minutes. Our first skills challenge was enough.
1: three minutes of hell, and we were just uh, chewed uh, uh, up. Oh. But again, goes to the reality of the reality show. It goes yes. to the realism that, you know, and say what you want. I think a lot of that came out of the psycho mind of building up. Like he wasn't let anyone did.
0: did. It did. He
1: it wasn't did. let anyone and you know there was some uncomfortableness maybe a little bit and how hard and whatever, but for the most part, everyone was on board. And, um, you know, again, leading all back to the deliberation, it was awesome to be a fly on the wall in there because it was real. Like these guys were really weighing pros and cons, right? Why, why these three? And then to Eric's credit, you know, if there was any question, you know, those three would make for great television or this, whatever, but you know, it was a legit winnowing down process every week yeah well, every episode it was and cool. I,
0: it was cool. The, the interview I did um, just this past weekend. I mean, this probably isn't going to air for a month just because I have weeks and weeks right. of interviews. Right. but uh, I spoke to Tim Davis, who was a story right. producer on the show right. and he was he was kind of taking a peek behind the curtain on the um the deliberation process and he's like, based on what was discussed in the deliberation room, everybody had a general idea of who was going to go home. I mean, Steve wouldn't obviously wouldn't walk out unprepared, but there was a point where it was like, okay, it's going to be such and such. And then Steve would kind of milk it a little bit. And then, you know, it would be like, okay, we're pretty sure it's supposed to be such and such going home. And then Steve would just milk it so well that the next thing they would hear would be like, uh, maybe it's going to be such and such going home. but there were a couple instances like take the, the uh, promo off between Zachy and Ryan, like right.
1: they were ready to send Ryan home the second time. He legit. Was in. 100% legit. And I'll okay, tell you great. A, a, another, you know, uh, inside baseball, Please. That, you know, throughout the process, you know, WWE is always involved, right. And USA is always involved as their show. So once we had the final three and it may have been the first episode or the second, I can't remember what it was, but early on in the show, we had a, one of those pivots, right? And they were like, well, wait, I thought like, whatever, one wasn't this one, or like, you know, we kind of clued them in where we thought it might go based on the three that were going in, and when it didn't happen. And to all their credit, they're like, all right, if that's the way it's going to be, like, we'll let you know if we have any issue, or you know, on the TV side. But both sides of that equation embraced this the, the Austin factor.
0: Right. Right. It's really refreshing to hear that too, because it was like, and at this point I've heard it enough times that I truly do believe it, that they just, they, Eric, you, everybody just let Steve be Steve. They trusted Steve's judgment in deciding who stays, who goes. Once Um, we
1: were, once, once, you know, once the deliberation process was over and we knew where this was going, you know, but again, it started from the four of them. Right. We were in part of that. But once Steve was in the ring, Eric, understood and became comfortable with the fact that the, that let the mind of Steve Austin be the mind of Steve Austin. The show would not have been the same if Eric was like, all right, cut. You didn't hit this. Let's go back. Take five, Get Yeah, powder. Let's, you know. Lighting. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, you know, like, yeah, none of that. And right. I, to, again, to Eric's credit, really early on, this is, you know, cinema verite. Yeah.
0: Let's fucking go. Right. Were you a little bit more hands off with some of the field trips? Was that just more kind of like this is way less wrestling, this is may- way more reality, uh, maybe more of a learning experience for you than anything else, and just kind of watch it all unfold and take in as much as possible?
1: Uh, yes, um, the, you know the the story that the the the, the, the 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 we'll call them like the field trip beats. Yeah. Those were determined before the show even started. And again, to the credit, uh, and I'm, I'm going to call up a couple because I, so I remember them, but the first one I remember being like, this ain't going to work was the dog thing. And it worked. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like,
0: it worked. Why do not you think it, it was going to work?
1: Uh, because I, I didn't, I didn't standing alone on its own two feet. I didn't think the fear of it was, would be enough. And I didn't think it would translate the television very well. Okay. But coupling that with the fear of, Losing your spot, you know, being on the bottom of a challenge made it compelling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then maybe it took me a, a, a challenge or two to understand that. um And then I'm like, okay. And then I was able to see, uh, you know, how things work. But yeah, like the the soda hop thing, like, yeah, I was hands off on that. Like, just let that be. And like you mentioned. But for me, all those things were a, a big part of my time in that show. Was also gaining your trust being the contestants, knowing that I, you know, as the WWE guy, the WWE was not out to fuck you guys. Yeah. Right? I like think- um, you understanding that I was as much I, I was there to make great TV, but I wasn't there to sabotage any of you. Right. And so I took those field trips, as you call them, as times to bond, meet you guys, not be friend, because there's a fine line. Sure. But, but Bond in a way that you understand that I was not there to sabotage you. Yeah. And I was there to, to keep things organic, but not, uh, not, not submarine any of your efforts. So that's what most of those field trips were for me. I mean, the one I remember the most wasn't a field trip, man. I had a, Fucking blast on the run! I was riding with Steve in his uh, you know, uh in the, in the golf cart, and we were having a, a blast. And then and then Eric's like, "Get out of the fucking golf cart! We want to shoot Steve in!" And I'm like, "All right, I better get out of the fucking golf cart, you know." But like Steve and I were like joking and talking, but talking about the show in a fun way. He was having a blast, like so. I remember things like that, but um, yeah, the the the, the reality show construct of some of those things, I let happen, and you know, I say this in my world now, like if people, I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm also, I also recognize that I'm not good at a lot of things. And so if I'm not good at a lot of things, why not let people who are better at them help me so that it's the product is better. And I'm not trying to, you know, pretend something that I'm not.
0: Right. I see. Uh, any other fun stories, either with Steve or any of the other trainers where you two were just kind of like, Either yucking it up or just, you know, becoming friends, bonding, any of that stuff, or anybody. I I mean, not just Steve or the trainers, because I'm, I'm sure it's mostly wrestling fans listening to this. But anybody else on the show that that you became friends with or or would work with together again?
1: Okay, so so that's a great question, Uh, and I think I'll I'll start with you. I think I made a, a a pretty. Uh, I think I did a, a a good job or I think I established early on that I wasn't there to be your friend, but I wasn't there to be your enemy. So I enjoyed getting to know all of you guys and like in having pockets of letting our guard down together, like the like the Cena Meal or yeah. you know, yeah. or stuff like that that we knew I wasn't gonna be on TV, that we, you know, we really, you know, things like that. So so I enjoyed that and I think um I think I did a good job of, of that. And you can comment that if you want or not. Yeah, um, no, I,
0: I agree. I agree. I didn't, I never once felt like you were there to, as you said, fuck us over and just like, you know, obviously we we're, we're on a reality show about pro wrestling. There are going to be moments where we're going to be embarrassed. Everybody's going to shit the bed at some point, but I never felt like you were trying to pull strings or orchestrate things in a way just orchestra. so that we were right. miserable,
1: or as, as you, as long as you knew that I wasn't trying to orchestrate outcomes, you you trusted me, and that's so I, that happened early on. So, you know, again, I I, I really enjoy working with Steve, and I, I same with all three of them. Maybe with the exception of Bill, but that was the first time I really spent any appreciable amount of time with them. But Booker and Trish and I had worked together on a ton of commercials. I bet. So I was I was. I had a relationship with them. I was not friends with them. And, and again, I, 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 count them as friends, but there's a, there's, you know what I mean? Like I would, there was, there's a line that, you know, a, a WW producer should never cross with WW talent. There has mm-hmm. to be mutual respect. There has to be understanding that I'm there to work with them and protect them. But when you start getting into the quote unquote friend zone, you know, it blurs those lines for no reason. Yeah. So like I always helped, I had a really, really healthy relationship with all of the talent. Um, and, 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 I think there was mutual respect in that I wasn't trying to, to invite them to my wedding and they weren't, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was just, yeah. it was a great, healthy understanding of how our relationship should be. And it continues to this day, right? You know, I, if I see Steve, you know, so what are some of the things I remember? Um, well, good question. Um, well, some of my funny,
0: real quick. I just want to ask is, is one of the commercials that you worked with Booker on the, uh, hungry man commercial? Was that one yes. of them? Oh, yes. I love that commercial. That's awesome, baby. I'm home. Like,
1: a, oh a my full god, a whole pound of food men love. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. so when, good. He, when he
1: rips the door off the thing, yeah, yeah was, exactly.
0: A couple of body slams, no big deal. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. What's for dinner? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was. I just. That's one of the things I remember from that era. I'm. It just. Yes. It tickles me that you worked on that commercial. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. So I. Yeah. I, I, that was. That was one of my. One of. One of my uh, commercials. Yes. So, but those, that's an example. So we had a relationship, but like, you know, you just gotta be cool. And I think- You're still coworkers. Uh, we're coworkers. Yeah. And, and, and a healthy respect for the hierarchy and and, and 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 taking care of them was important. But there were times where they also wanted to let go. So um, I, I happen to really like Paul White. He's a big sophomore. Paul's yeah. a great guy. So having there, him was there was great. Um, my wife was pregnant uh, while we were shooting that with my first child. And she came to set one day, And he like palmed her baby bump and like lifted her up with one hand and like did all those kind of things. So we have pictures of that. And then Steve and him went and shot bow and arrows. We set up like hay bales and I was there hanging, you know, uh, uh, I can either confirm or deny that I had a, 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 you know, a pop or two during these sessions, but, uh, (laughs) you know, hung out with them as a, as a, you know, a step behind, but they allowed me in, you know, And, and so hanging them and talking to them as, as, as equals. So that was fun. Um, and I'm sure just having you around, just knowing that there was a WWE guy, a wrestling guy
0: allowed them to let their guard down and make, fr- no,
1: exactly. Right. Okay you, were, okay. you, you, you hit the nail on the head, uh, a trusted face that, yes. and it was maybe one or two times. And again, I apologize for not remembering the particulars where they came to me and said, Hey, I need this. And of course we got it done for them. Whether it was a, I don't want to do this in the show or, Hey, I need this or whatever. Okay. There were a couple of those moments, but you know, they were they were all great and super professional, but so we they had, had the somebody on and,
0: their side
1: that they knew that yes. they knew. and that was again to Kevin and, and and Big's credit that was very important.
0: Yeah, Big is um, in uh, Big John Kaburick, by the way. For yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so that moment with Steve riding, uh, uh, uh um, Ray Mysterio is a big motorcycle guy. So he and I hopped on a couple of motorcycles that we rented for him, and we took, we drove around the the property and off the property for a little bit he, just he and I. Yeah, uh, one day. Um, and to your, um, delight, um, having rock on was a great thing. And I'll just give a little quick snippet in that most of these guests were not pre-planned, like the WWE at the time were so, we were so busy. Like, yeah. they, 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 you know, they think, and, and, you know, so, uh, I'm trying to remember like, uh, like Stacy and the Bellas and a couple of things like, you know, we, we were juggling schedules, yeah. you know. For throughout the whole process, I
0: mean, you were even juggling. Booker was doing commentary on
1: SmackDown at the time; he wasn't there he for had to, every second. He had to fly out a couple of times, like uh, you know. And I'm just looking at the list. Like I remember, like uh, you know, the the parkour, the, the the climbing wall with 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 John Morrison was cool. oh the ropes course, like, yeah, the yeah. ropes course was awesome. But but uh, you know, and trying to get you know, like Bret Hart coming in, he was Ugh. as a le- all of it was so very hard. But to me, my one uh, sort of the big contribution to the show was getting rock. And here's why. So rock wasn't really with the company anymore. He wasn't, he was, but he wasn't like, um, he wasn't on the road every day. No, no. He He was
0: hosting WrestleMania that year, but he was far from a full timer anymore.
1: He was hosting WrestleMania that year. So here's the story. If I remember, he was, he was living in Calabasas. He had a house in Calabasas. So not far. And the whole time I was calling Chris Chambers or big or Kevin. I'm like, we, you know, we would love to get rock. We'd love to get rock. We'd love to get rock. And you know, much like Stone Cold, like Rock, at that point could pick and choose for the most part the the secondary and tertiary things that you know he wanted to be involved in. Like, and certainly in the filming of this, not knowing what it was going to be, I don't think that they were going to ask him and be dictatorial to say like, "You got to do this show." Like that didn't happen, right? So, but he was hosting WrestleMania as you. So, uh, you know, your your amazing memory serves, <laughs> and he hadn't worked in a ring in a while. So, I got a call from him. Saying, "Hey, Doug," because I'd worked with him a ton, also getting Sheffy with it and a whole bunch of stuff. And you know, talk about one of the nicest guys on the planet. If if we have time, I'll tell you a quick story about something he did for me that you know was just I'll never forget. Yeah,
0: and, well, keeping an eye on the time, we are uh, about two hours in. You know, even with that interruption, I know you have to go soon. So I'll finish.
1: Love- I'll finish this story and then I'll tell you the Rock story and then we'll cut it short and we can do a, a, a truncated part two. Yes, so, I
0: love it. I love
1: it. So so he calls me up and he's like, is there any way I can use the ring to train? It's right by my house. I would love to come and you tell me when your downtime is. Wow. You tell me when your downtime is, I wanna come and use the ring. And my answer was, you tell me when you're available and we'll make that our downtime. So he's like- That's why that day took so damn long. He's like, thank you so much. So we were on his schedule and The rock schedule is a rock schedule. He was supposed to come in a lot earlier. It came in later. Okay. Juggled the show around his schedule. But he had no, there was no real plan for him to do what he did. It wasn't until he came and was like, wow, this is pretty fucking awesome. You know what? I want to do this. That it all came together. Wow.
0: So it came together just hours before it actually happened. Did he have, did it just happen? Go ahead.
1: No, go ahead you go ahead. Did did
0: he just happen to drop by on the day that we were doing no, the no,
1: like I, skills challenge? Or was like, you know what I mean? I'm trying to remember back. Okay. I think we I think we that's an astonishing what, coincidence yeah, if that's No, case. I you're you're right. I think what happened was once we knew him he, he was coming, we we he knew what was happening and we said, Hey, if you want to stay and watch or you want to stay and participate, but by no means are you you have to right i think you know again thank you for calling bullshit and helping me unspiral this web that of memories but yeah so the story is definitely that he he, his guest appearance was not scheduled you know pre-shooting it happened organically with his want to prep for wrestlemania him using the ring him asking what was going on him liking that what was going on and him saying you know hey you know what? I can do it. And it was supposed to be Steve, obviously, because Steve can kind of mean promo like no one's else. But right. making it rock took it to a whole nother level because right. it wasn't it wasn't the guy that was there every day doing it. So that is, thank you for helping me unswindle yes. the spindle. But that is basically what happened. So it was not a planned event until late in the process.
0: Wow. Oh my God. The fact that, that that happened as just sheer happenstance that he was there the day or like wanted to come in the day of the promo challenge. And like, I remember... You know, because usually the skill we we have a good idea of what was happening the day of, but w- they kept us, they held us for just hours, yes, and yes. hours and hours and hours, and like, all right, like, are we going to get to the skills challenge today? And somebody, you know, who was who was constantly in contact with us was just like, well, we
1: have sit a guest, tight, sit tight. Sit, right, tight, sit tight, we have a guest showing
0: up. We're just waiting for them to be here. Of course, they wouldn't tell us who because they wanted us right. to, you know, be shocked. Have
1: aha, what we call the aha moment. We don't. Aha aha we don't want to precondition you because all those right. aha moments on camera, whatever. So I will say this, that not that I need to do it, but again, helping me un- unravel these, these, the dark closets is certainly a possibility that I sat with Eric and, and certainly Kevin had to be involved because it was rock. But once we knew he was coming, we probably were like, you know what, this would be a good time to do this. Mm, so I you know, see. it was educated. It was educated and, and uh, you know, uh, smart manipulation of schedules once we knew. But again, I, the, what the unequivocal truth is that he was not scheduled to do this. Wow. As it, as it came to be when we started the show.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, okay. And here's
1: my, here's my last rock story. Yes. And then we, we could start getting into you and all that stuff the next time. Okay. And this is nothing to do with the show, but it's just, I want to, you know, it goes to show you what kind of guy he is. I, um I must've been a, uh ap at the time and uh i was asked to fly out to la to shoot uh the mtv movie, movie mtv movie awards rock was nominated for best kiss for the rundown with uh uh you know that jungle movie that he did and sure a, sure
0: with sean william uh, scott yeah sean
1: william scott and they had a kissing moment so tongue-in-cheek they were nominated for uh best kiss <laughs> and so this is
0: what 2004
1: Uh, I'm going to give me, let let me, let me, you're in
0: front of the the TV or a computer rather.
1: So so the movie was 2003. So this is now 2004. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming. So, so uh, I was asked, uh, and I might actually might've been out in LA shooting a commercial or something with someone and they asked me to go to the red carpet and get him talking about the movie and getting other celebrities talking about the rock. Cause he's still, this was his, Second movie he had done uh, the Scorpion King, right? This he was is, still very
0: young is, in Hollywood.
1: This is the beginning of him becoming. He, you know,
0: he had also done Walking Tall.
1: Was that before or after this?
0: That was that was I want to say around 03, I think that okay. was So so yeah.
1: whatever it is, it was certainly in his infancy of mega stardom. Yes. Um. So they asked me to go, and I get what's called an ENG crew, which is just a cameraman, uh, uh, you know, a, a guy holding a boom mic, you know, an audio guy, and a PA, and we're on the red carpet and. You know, the everyone in Who's Who's is Hollywood is, is walking by, but the rock is not, I haven't seen him. So, like, all right, while these guys are here, let's start peppering these guys with questions about their opinion on rock and this and whatever. So, like everyone from Quentin Tarantino to you know the Who's Who in Hollywood get we had on camera saying, Oh dude, rock's gonna be great. Oh, I would like Quentin, I would love to work with that guy. Oh, like he's so handsome, you know. All you know, it ran the gamut from you know, all the platitudes that you know are are you know. B-roll red carpet fodder that, you know, we, 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 there was no, I don't even know if we had digital at the time. It might've been like a, a a magazine, you know, package (laughs) or something that we were going to put together. I remember magazines, you know, like something like that. Yeah. Um, But you know, the the line starts to slow down and the cavalcade of of celebrities start slowing down. No fucking rock. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I'm here to, I'm here to get the rock. You had one job. (laughs) So, I call, I'm like, I, I, I can't call Kevin Dunn. I tell him I didn't get him. Like, that, that's not an option. Like, I just can't do it. Like, I'm here for a job. I got to do my job. So I call someone, like this unheralded, you know, woman. Her name is Sue DeRosa, who's like the behind the scenes. You, you ever need anything, call her. She's just like, she, we'll work tirelessly to help you, you know, even if, she, if she's not even involved in the project. And she yeah. was, at the time, worked for Kevin. I'm like, Sue, I, I'm, I'm screwed. Like, what, <laughs> I, I'm screwed. She's like, Doug, I don't know what to do, but I happen to have, you know, his wife's phone number. She was his manager at the time. Right. Um, um, Danny uh, Garcia, uh, Danny Garcia, who also a lovely woman in herself. Um, why don't you call her? Maybe she can help. I'm like, all right. So hail Mary. Right. I call her up. Danny answers the phone. I'm like, Danny, Doug LeBeau. I don't know if you know me. She's of course, Doug. I remember you. Yeah. W- w-. I'm like, company sent me out here. Um, I'm standing outside. I was supposed to get rock. And I didn't get him. She's like, oh, I don't know, and I don't remember. She's like, I don't remember us hearing that or whatever, whatever it was. She's like, give me five minutes. I'm like, okay, I hang up and I'm waiting for her to call me back. All of a sudden, not exaggerating, the the like stage door of Fox movie theater, you know, the Fox Studios set opens and Rock comes walking out. He's like, Doug, I am so 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 sorry. If I'd known you were here, of course I would have done it. He's like, listen. You take as much time as you want. I went to the w- MTV producers and asked them to move my segment two segments down so I can give you enough time to get my interview.
0: Wow. Oh, my God. Moving mountains to make that happen. That's amazing.
1: Because two reasons. And, I, and not because it was me, because he's that kind of guy and would have done it for anybody. But he also understands that it. Ha- he understood the power of the rock within the WWE universe, right? So um, he just he he's a smart guy he's a, that kind of you know magnanimous guy um and i don't and i'm from what i understand i haven't seen him in probably in 8 years it, it continues to this day so it's a nice nugget for wrestling fans and especially you who had a a, a really bonding moment with him both during the show and after with your rock the promo right. that you know this cat is the real deal
0: wow well that makes me i mean as much just infinite gratitude as I have for that moment, because that really, that was my aha moment on the show. That moment helped guide my career to this very day. And the fact that now I know how close it was to not happening just makes me even more grateful that that happened in the first place. So I really appreciate you shedding light on, on that and everything about tough enough up to this point. And I can't fucking wait to get you back. I'll give you
1: more. I'll, I'll give you more. And I hope like, again, I just want to apologize to the listeners. Or the viewers, if this is going to be, uh, you know, visual, yep. you know, be able to be seen anywhere, you know, I uh, being ten years removed, uh, there are some things that you're helping me unravel, and I will continue to do it. But you know, hopefully, it's been enough nuggets of of, of uh, insight and truth that you, you know the the your your fans and your listeners will be interested.
0: Oh God, absolutely! I'm I'm thrilled with how this came out, and to be honest, that's like part of the joy I think of. Of this podcast because we're dusting off memories. We're, we're revisiting old experiences. And I think part of the fun is unraveling, unraveling the bullshit and, and just like revisiting everything and reflecting on that as, as we are now, but also as it was happening 10 years ago. So again, thanks for coming. I can't wait to have you back. Uh, he is Tough Enough co-executive producer, Doug LeBeau, and this has been Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch. Take care y'all.
1: Later, buddy.